Today is the second of five Sundays on which the epistle is taken from the first letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. So now is a good time to read and study all of 1 Thessalonians, which runs to less than three pages in most Bibles. The ancient Macedonian city of Thessalonica was named for the half-sister of Alexander the Great, and it is now the modern Greek city of Thessaloniki. The city was and still is a large port on the Aegean Sea, which made it a prosperous crossroads in the heart of the Roman Empire. And St. Paul visited Thessalonica around the year 51 on his second missionary journey, traveling with his colleagues Silvanus and Timothy. The three missionaries began their preaching in the main synagogue, but they met fierce opposition among the Jews in the city, and so they then began to teach the Gentiles who were willing to listen. Paul stayed in Thessalonica less than a month and then moved on to several other places before settling in Corinth for a year and a half. Sometime around the year 52, while still in Corinth, Paul wrote the first of his two letters to the church in Thessalonica, and 1 Thessalonians may be the oldest text we have of St. Paul in the New Testament. Paul writes about several features of Christian faith and life, and he wants to teach the Thessalonians how the great missionary enterprise of spreading the gospel takes place. He begins by reminding his readers that he and his brother missionaries are honest men who lived upright lives in Thessalonica and that they endured bitter persecution while they were in the city simply because they shared with others the good news of salvation. You see, itinerant preachers were a common feature of life in the ancient world, but most of them were usually either unstable fanatics or dishonorable frauds who traveled around seeking pleasure and riches. So Paul wanted the young Christians in Thessalonica to understand that those who teach the gospel must be sober and virtuous men who live the gospel they teach in order to be credible witnesses to Jesus Christ. Last week we heard the opening verses of this letter. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here that Paul invokes the three theological virtues for the increase of which we prayed in the collect of this Mass. These are the supernatural gifts of faith, hope, and love that are poured into us at our baptism, the sacrament by which we are plunged into the death and resurrection of Christ, and also the sacrament by which we are all made missionaries. Our very capacity to know the truth of the gospel and share it with others is itself a free gift offered by the mercy of God to every human person. And the church's mission is to help every man, woman, and child understand and accept this gift of grace. 
And so Paul then turned to how that mission unfolds. As we read last Sunday, the apostle wrote, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. In other words, the preaching of the gospel depends not on our rhetorical skill or philosophical sophistication or cultural sensitivity, but on the power of the Holy Spirit to convict the hearts and minds of those who hear the word of God proclaimed, to help them receive the gospel with saving faith. And now in our second lesson today, Paul continues to explain how and why the gospel was received in Thessalonica and what it means for the Christian community there. He wrote, You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So here is how our transformation into missionaries begins. Christian disciples who believe what they read in Holy Scripture and hear in the apostolic preaching must then teach what they believe and also practice what they teach. In this way, all disciples are equipped to tell others about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that leads to new Christian disciples who are changed by the word of God and then in turn become witnesses to the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit no matter what struggle, adversity, or misunderstanding they must face. And once Christians learn the cost of discipleship from their own experience, then comes the next step of sharing the gospel with others, as the apostle wrote, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. For they themselves openly declare how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So, the torch of faith is passed from teacher to disciple, and then the new disciple, in turn, becomes a teacher to hand on the light of the gospel to the next person, and the power that drives this missionary expansion of the church is God himself, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, who changes lives from the inside out by employing human instruments of grace to transmit the word of God and the sacraments of the new covenant, and so build up the church of Jesus Christ as the seed and beginning of the eternal kingdom of God. Friends, fulfilling this great commission will go on to the ends of the earth and to the end of days when Christ will return in glory as the judge of the living and the dead. On the last day, the Lord Jesus will be revealed to all people in unbounded splendor as the Word made flesh and King of all creation. And our task until then is to teach the world about this great mystery of faith and help others receive the grace of God in Christ Jesus unto eternal life. But if the preaching of the gospel in our time is less fruitful than in ages past, 
Perhaps that is because we lack the courage to proclaim the word of God fearlessly and without concern for what our critics will think of us, including those who may already be baptized or even ordained, but who for whatever reason do not yet fully accept the deposit of faith given once for all to the saints. The just concluded Synod on Synodality in Rome, which lasted all this month and is scheduled to be repeated again next October, was in many ways an exercise of listening to those who do not believe in part what the gospel reveals. People who are unhappy with some perennial Christian doctrines explained during this month-long meeting why the church is a stumbling block to those who will not accept the truth of divine revelation on the disputed questions of our day, most especially the teachings about sexuality and sacramentality and the intersection of these two dimensions of human life and Christian faith. Many who participated in the Synod want the church to change the teachings they find unacceptable so that they will feel welcome in the church. They are convinced that if they offer the same objections to unwelcome doctrine over and over with sufficient emotion and specious argumentation, then the church will eventually change her disputed teaching. But friends, that would be to falsify the gospel. And it is not possible for the church to change any part of the deposit of faith because the gospel, as Paul writes to the Romans, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now we can admit that the many sins of Christians and the fraught history of the church can be a stumbling block to others receiving the gospel. But these are not reasons to abandon or compromise the Great Commission. Too often in recent years, and very much in this recent synod, our focus has been on listening to the complaints of others about the church, rather than on proclaiming Jesus Christ crucified and risen as the answer to which every human life is the question. Imagine if the first missionaries to Thessalonica had stopped proclaiming the gospel because of the opposition they encountered and had instead settled down to learn from their persecutors why the church was a stumbling block to those without faith. No, the great commission given by the Lord Jesus is strong and clear and unconditional. The church is sent by Christ the Lord and endowed with his own authority not to transmit human wisdom or try to make the kingdom attractive to those who reject divine revelation, but to teach the liberating truth of the word of God to all nations and to celebrate the sacraments of the new covenant for all those who repent and believe in the gospel. And that is the only way into the church, repentance and faith. 2,000 years after Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy first preached the gospel in Thessalonica, here we are doing exactly the same thing so that all people will know, love, and serve the living and true God who finally and fully revealed himself to the world in the Son of Mary, who is also God the Son. 
the light of the world and the divine redeemer of the human race, the anointed one of Israel and the long desired of all the nations, the Lord, Jesus Christ, 